I'm uh, privileged again this morning. I feel like last year was the same time for the same reasons I was up here, which is all right. Um, I've never seen a shot I didn't like to shoot, so <laughs> I was grateful to be asked to, to come here and to, to uh, be with you all this morning. As you can see in the bulletin, we will be in Philippians chapter 4, verses, um, and I'm actually going to read verse 1, and we'll go through verse 9. So please look with me at Philippians chapter 4. I'll start in verse 1, and we'll conclude in verse 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we ask that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we come into your presence this morning. Lord, commune with you this morning. Lord, may we all be brought into deeper fellowship with you and deeper fellowship with one another. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord. pray this in your name. Amen. I was struggling for an intro for this sermon, so I had to go back, because this is a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of us, and myself included. I had to go back to the point at which I really remember this passage kind of being imprinted in my heart. Goes back to Christ Community Church, of which there are uh, a, few, a few of us who attended there together a few years ago in Daytona Beach, Florida. And I remember it was in 2016, I had dropped out of seminary. I was a good student. I had an internship at a church. I was engaged to my best friend. I had won an ultramarathon that year. On the surface, everything appeared blessed. But internally, I was racked with anxiety, depression, looking for affirmation in all the wrong places. Filled with shame, filled with pride. And I pursued peace. 
in the wrong places. And my lack of an internal peace, however cloaked it was to the external things, created divisions. It was easy for me to use my Christianity, my faith, my works, and situations to feed that need for affirmation and peace in wrong places. And when that happened, I hadn't fallen away from the Lord. I wasn't some sort of backslider in pain and sin, but it was things that needed to be dealt with because I could see the harm it was causing in my own life. I could see the harm it was causing in circumstances around me. And hence, I needed to take a break from seminary and focus or refocus my sights on what truly mattered, the glory of God, to bring my attention back to being on the Lord and in the Lord. Sometimes in our Christian journey, we wander off the path. And we need to slow down and pull over and just look at the directions one more time to make sure we're headed in the right direction. Our passage this morning That's what Paul's doing. In the midst of adversity and disunity in the church amongst believers, Paul is calling for those in conflict, those lacking peace, to move beyond themselves and fix their eyes on Jesus, to humble themselves, to reorient their walk in the triune God where the people of God can find peace with God and with each other. I think our passage shows us three ways we can do that. If you look with me in verse 1, we see that Paul reestablishes his love for the people. He's reestablishing his affection for the people of God, those whom he loves, those whom he longs for, those who bring him joy, and he calls his crown his beloved. And the overarching call of this is for them to stand firm. And he's beginning this way because he's about to address an issue that he gets into in verse 2. Euodia and Syntyche, apparently very uh, prominent Greek women in that church, had some sort of disagreement going on where Paul is not taking a side, but he's calling both of them by name to come back into unity in the Lord. Clearly, this was big enough for it to have reached Paul and for Paul to feel the need to address it. Now, what he doesn't address is any sort of major, like, obvious theological or moral failing of these women. He's not addressing that. It's more that everyday, ordinary disunity that can grow. And the problem of peace amongst the people of God isn't a new one. The psalmist addresses it in Psalm 34, 14, where we're told to seek peace and pursue it. In Mark 9, 50, Jesus says to be at peace with one another. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God and Paul himself concludes many of his epistles with this call for peace. Romans 14, 19, let us 
pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. And finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. Be at peace amongst yourselves. The mere fact that Paul has constantly reminded us that we need to be at peace should inform us that Euodia and Syntyche aren't the only ones amongst the people of God struggling for peace with one another. But it must also force us to ask the question, what sort of things actually does cause these sort of divisions? And I think kind of maybe not explicit in this text, but elsewhere where Paul talks about peace, we can kind of get an idea, which will inform the rest of our passage. From earlier in Philippians 2, we see selfish ambition, conceit, looking to your own interests and not that of others. Romans 12, being haughty, being wise in your own sight. That selfishness, that self-interest, being wise in our own Sight is probably the best understanding of what's creating this division here, which is why Paul is telling them to not, he's not taking a side, he's not telling the church to take a side, he's telling them to refocus back in the Lord. Sometimes we have to stop and ask ourselves, whose kingdom are we trying to build? The issue, the issue of pride, being wise in our own sight, it's hard to see on our own sometimes. Sometimes we need to ask those around us, how am I coming across? Do you see these things in me? Do you see pride, self-interest? And maybe as our parents told us, are we being too smart for our own good? And that's why Paul doesn't just address these two women he addresses a very particular true companion to help these women who labored side by side in the gospel with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. Right? It's not clear who these true companions are, but we, uh, who this true companion is, but we know it's a fellow yoke bearer. Right? That should connote some sort of farm imagery. There are imagery. They are inextricably linked to the same work. One ox cannot leave another ox behind. Likewise, brothers and sisters, we cannot leave each other behind to figure out somebody else's problem. We have a responsibility to each other. Because your brother and sister, and again, this is why it's so important to understand, these are people whose names are written. People who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is a church issue. It's not an out there issue. It's not a, look at the world, look at the culture, it's coming for us. This is for us in here to make sure that we can deal with it to make sure that we help one another along. And Paul's not concerned about the platform being built or having a kingdom of their own. He's trying to build the church of Christ 
made in Christ's likeness, not their own. If you've had little kids, if you've got grandkids, or at some point you are around kids, you know that they fall and they scrape their knee, or they scrape their elbow all the time. And they're not major wounds, despite the cries and the screams that may come along with it. And we had this the other day, a few weeks ago, where nobody likes having alcohol or peroxide put on it because it stings. And so uh, one of my kids scraped their knee. We had to put alcohol on it. She, she didn't want that. So we called Grammy. said, so, Grammy, why did we put it on it? Make sure it doesn't get infected. We called my mother, Oma. Called Oma and said, why did, we put, why did we put alcohol on it? Make sure it doesn't get infected. But sometimes, you know what? In our grown-up state, in our maturity, we say, I don't want the sting. I'll risk the infection. It doesn't matter that it's just a scrape, just something on the surface. It can still lead to an infection. And sometimes we say, you know what? I don't want that sting. I don't want that discomfort. I'll risk the infection. Brothers and sisters, that's how it happens in the church. Usually it's not the deep cuts that we know we got to go and get stitches for. It's those scrapes that continually happen over and over. And we're like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want the sting of reconciliation. I don't want the sting of going through the process of humbling myself before a brother and sister and saying, you know what? I'm wrong. Or I need to step back. I was out of line. I was looking for myself, looking out for myself and not for you. And I definitely wasn't trying to bring glory to God. And all this calls us to our heart's posture. This is our second point. We've got to pursue peace with our heart's posture. You know, verses 4 through 7 Many songs have been made, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, I could do the dance, but from CJ and friends, I won't do that this morning. But we see, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think Paul's bringing us back here because one of the major symptoms of a heart that is looking after self, looking after pride, is a lack of joy. Is a lack of gentleness, which is how you could translate reasonableness. We are not gentle, we are harsh. It is a lack of prayer, because we think we can do it. We don't need to enlist the help of the Almighty. It's a lack of gratitude. So instead of everything in thanksgiving, it's everything in grumbling and complaining. And that's why I think Paul is bringing us immediately back here. It's a theme throughout his writings. This theme of joy. The theme of prayer, right? And he's bringing us back once again. Reorient your focus in whom it should be. Our disposition 
tells us a lot about my, our heart's posture. I said mine because I was thinking about myself and my own disposition and working through it. Yes, it tells us a lot about myself, my disposition. And we should all be able to probably say the same thing. My disposition tells us a lot about our heart's posture. When God took Israel out of slavery and he was trying to lead them to his presence to worship, right? we, we see immediately that Israel stumbles, they fall, and they're in the wilderness wandering. And what are they doing while they wander? They're grumbling and they are complaining. They are ungrateful for the manna that's been provided. They are grumpy, curmudgeons. And their physical wandering showed us their heart's posture. Well, I was, when I was a little kid, I used to wander all the time. I got lost in Niagara Falls. I got lost at the local grocery store. I got lost everywhere. I was a wanderer. I wasn't intentional. I wasn't trying to run away from my family. I love my parents. And I don't physically wander anymore away from my family, nor... Do the people of God really physically wander away like that anymore? But I can be distant from my family without physically wandering away. Emotionally, spiritually. We can be emotional wanderers. We can be spiritual wanderers. Again, that physical wandering was a symptom of the spiritual reality in the people of God. A spiritual reality with which we still struggle with. The people of God are supposed to be marked by joy, gentleness, prayer, by thankfulness. And it's easy to wander. It's easy to wander in these areas. It's the moment where we respond in anger instead of gentleness. The time we sat with our worry instead of stopping to take it to God in prayer. The time we posted commented, or in conversation said something that was clearly more concerned with winning an argument than winning a soul. We forget that we're image bearers. And we think God needs us to be right. God does not call us to always be right in our own strength, in our own merit. We, we are called to bring glory to God, to lead people to Christ. And that comes from our humility, picking up our cross. It comes when we stoop down, as Jesus stooped down to pick up the children and welcome them in his arms. As the disciples said, stand back. I struggle for joy. I struggle with gratitude. I struggle with anxiety, worry. And sometimes what I need, and this is always a good test for me, maybe this for you. I had a conversation last week, and uh, a woman shared that for her it was something similar. The way that music the role that music can play to kind of reorient our hearts back to the Lord, right? We can think of David and Saul 
right, when David played the music, right, the tormenting spirits that Saul had, that was the only time he got relief. Now, I'm not saying we have tormenting spirits, but I am saying that music plays a vital role. Worship plays a vital role in our Christian walk. And as I was listening and thinking through this sermon, I was brought to the Georgia Mass Choir's song entitled Joy and listen to what it says here. It encapsulates what Paul is talking about. Now, I can't sing it. I wish I could. So if somebody can sing it, let them use you. Listen, when I get weak, and I can't go on. Thank you, Jesus. I feel all my hope, all my joy is gone. Late in the midnight hour, I talk to my God. And he gives me joy, joy in my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Joy, joy, God's great joy. Joy, joy down in my soul. Oh, sweet, beautiful, soul-saving joy. Praise God for the joy that he gives us. And in the midst of all this, we're given two really great promises. The Lord is at hand. He is near to us in verse 5. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus in verse 7. Sometimes we forget God's right here. And we live that way. We forget that God is near in, in a negative sense and in a positive sense. Right? We forget, right? I remind my kids, like when they are scared, where are your parents? They're right across the hall from you. We're right here. Come to us. Right? But unlike us, I don't God doesn't put us back into bed and leave us. He lets us stay with him. We're right here. It's okay. It's okay. Go to him. He is near and he promises us. He promises us that he will guard our hearts and our minds. We cannot do it in our own strength. We are all weak, right? The joke is, if I tell you not to think about something, what do you immediately think about? That something. We are weak in that area. We need to acknowledge that. But God protects our hearts and minds in Christ. Jesus, our anxiety, our worry, our wandering, our selfishness, our harshness, our prayerlessness, our lack of joy was nailed to the cross. It was nailed to the cross. Our insecurities, our doubt was nailed to the cross. And in that glorious exchange, we are given his intercession at the right hand of the Father. We are given his humility. We are given his peace. His gentleness, his joy, his gratitude for the joy set before him. He went to the cross. That is what we receive when we are in Christ. That is what guards our hearts and our minds. It is lavishly given to us. Lavishly and graciously given to us. Lord, believe that today, that he will guard your hearts and minds. We don't have to do it on our own. And lastly, we pursue peace with the people of God in a posture of humility. I mentioned this uh, after a uh, posture of humility. 
we in a and with the people of God, we do so practically. Verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Right? If you're a coach or if you're a teacher, a music instructor, you show your student how to do something, and the goal is for them to go practice it. Practice. Practice. And that is what Paul is saying. I'm showing you. I'm teaching you. You've got to practice. This. God works through these ordinary means of the day in, the day out, what seems like monotonous. He works through those ordinary means. I teach anatomy and, and physiology. It's one of the sciences uh, I teach. And we talk about the nervous system. We talk about something called the reflex arc. And basically what I was saying is that you've got your five senses. They help you perceive the world. So that's called sensory input. You input the information. Your brain, your central nervous system integrates that information and then tells your body how to respond. It could be a muscular move. It could be something else, right? So it's called motor, or sorry, sensory input. Integration, motor output. Example, if, if I smell really good food, right, by that's what I smell, my brain integrates that, saliva gets released because I'm preparing to eat. Or if I touch something hot, right, that sensation, pain receptors go off, pull away. There's a direct connection between the input and the output in our physical bodies. But there's also a direct connection between the input and the output of our spiritual selves. Right? Again, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Paul is enlisting the senses and saying, practice these things. That ought to be the output. He's saying we need the spiritually healthy reflex arc. So if we're called to pursue peace, we do that by both pursuing truth and living truthfully by pursuing dignity or honor and honoring and showing dignity to others. If it's by pursuing justice, then we are to be just ourselves. Or by pursuing purity, then we are to be pure ourselves and so on. We need to practice what we preach. We need to walk what we talk. Our orthodoxy needs to match our orthopraxy, and as we mentioned earlier, our orthopathos, our right emotion. Right, right belief matches right action and right feeling. And that is what Paul is telling me. Look at him as an example of how to do these things. And you and I, yes, we need to be examples of these things, but we also need examples. We need to look at how it's done. Brothers and sisters, we have an example right here in West Hartford. A historical example. Mr. Lemuel Haynes was born in West Hartford. And if you haven't heard him, I'll give you a little bit, but do more research. Lemuel Haynes, born July 18, 1753. He was an abolitionist who fought in the Revolutionary War, but said the revolution wasn't over until slavery was over. And he was one of the first 
to believe that slavery was wrong based solely on his theological convictions about humans being made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. He was a Reformed pastor who fought for the Reformed faith in this region and became the first ordained African-American pastor in the United States of America and later preached in Torrington. And the epitaph on his gravestone reads, Here lies the dust of a poor, hell-deserving sinner who ventured into eternity trusting wholly in the merits of Christ for salvation in the full belief of the great doctrines he preached while on earth. He invites his children and all who read this to trust their eternal interests in the same foundation. That is an example that we need to learn from. And there are others like him. But this is one in your backyard, in your home, born in West Hartford, preached in Torrington. A great man of the faith. And there's a book out there called The, the Faithful Preacher that has some of his sermons in there. I would encourage you to go read them. Go read them. He is a godly man who we can learn from. We need those faithful brothers and sisters, not only here, though, but across the world. We can learn from our brothers and sisters in all parts of the world, both contemporarily and historically. And if that weren't enough to have examples, look at the very end of our passage in verse 9. And I'll bring it to a close. We are given a great promise that the God of peace will be with you. Beloved, it would be enough if our names were written in the book of life, as verse 3 mentions. It would be enough to have the peace that God promises in verse 7. It would be enough for him to be just near, but God himself gives himself. We pursue peace because we long for God and the peace in a lost world where we are strangers and exiles, but in Christ we do not wander without hope. We don't wander as if we have no home or no purpose. For we know that we are citizens of another kingdom. And that king has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come and get us. And he will bring us to himself. Full of glory. Full of majesty. The veil has been torn. And we will be in his presence. And we will see him face to face. Not just the peace of God, but God himself, the God of peace, will be our peace. And he will keep us until that day through the power of his spirit. Maybe today you feel like you've wandered away from your heavenly father and you lack the peace that you once had. Maybe you've never known that peace. That peace that can only come from God himself being with us. We can never pursue that peace enough in our own strength. We need his grace. But God, the good shepherd, leaves the 99 for the one. 
He is the true David that fought the bear and the lion to protect his flock. Brothers and sisters, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts and wander, but listen, come to him, and he will give you rest. Let's pray.